Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Greetings, America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here nationwide. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you are on WSB Radio in Atlanta, Georgia, you have me until 7 p.m. tonight. <laughs> yeah, the Georgia legislature is meeting. Uh, the the drive time host, Mark Aram, uh, who moved into drive time when I moved into the noontime, is doing the morning show on WSB, so I'll be taking his four to seven shift and the legislature's meeting and oh we'll have a great time talking about what's going on governor brian kemp will be joining me as well uh, at around 5 30 today governor ron desantis we're trying to work it out on thursday uh, he wants to be on the show he'll be at an event in the atlanta area on thursday and i am i'm hoping to be able to sit down with him he won't be able to do the show live but he wants to come into the studio that morning to record an interview with me for the show if we can make the logistics work. So we're, we're working on it. Uh, we're being as flexible as possible, whether I go to him or he comes to me, whatever we can do um, just to be able to get this um, going. Uh, he's not going to use the show to declare he's running for president, just so you know, but uh, we will talk about things now. Uh, I was going to do this in a short segment, but I actually want to do this here. For those of you who do not know that racism in America is not the problem it used to be, I now have proof. We are never as a society going to get rid of racism. Why? Doesn't mean we shouldn't try to get rid of it, but we're never going to get rid of it completely. Why? Because racism is a sin. We're all sinners. We're going to have it. Uh, there are bad people. There, we can't get rid of all the bad people. There will still be racists. Doesn't mean society itself is racist. In fact, society itself has improved. We've got our first um, Asian Caribbean vice president. We've got our. We've had our first black president of the United States. The man who represents the South Carolina, the the heart of the Confederacy in the United States Senate, is a black man. Their governor was an Indian woman. Uh, Louisiana had an Indian American governor, Bobby Jindal. We've made great progress in race in this country. However, as people have graduated from college with degrees in victim studies, women and gender studies, queer theory, African-American studies, they get jobs in the DEI environment, diversity, equity, and inclusion. You can't actually get rid of racism in America when you have people whose entire job it is to find it and seek it and make it something. If we got rid of racism in America, Diversity, equity, and inclusion people would be out of jobs. So they have to find racism in ever more meaningless places and amplify it in order to have job security. This country could become completely colorblind and get rid of all racism, and they would still find ways to scream about racism so that they could keep their paycheck coming. It is a, a, it is a way we're never going to get beyond it. Now, that is not to say we, we don't have racism in America. We do. It's just not as great as it once was. I have even found that over time, younger generations of Americans are more, had been for a time at least, 
more aware of the fact that we're not the country we once were. We continue. Time heals all wounds, including racism in this country. And there is great proof of the fact that we are not nearly as bad a country as we once were. And in fact, racism is more and more on the margins of society. My proof is a piece from CNN. A man named John Blake, who writes about race and racism. Maybe you shared the viral video of Kimberly Sweet Brown Wilkins telling a reporter after narrowly escaping an apartment fire, quote, ain't nobody got time for that. Perhaps you posted that meme of supermodel Tyra Banks exploding in anger on America's Next Top Model. I was rooting for you. We were all rooting for you. Or maybe you've simply posted popular GIFs, such as the one of NBA great Michael Jordan crying, or of drag queen RuPaul declaring, girl. If you're black and you shared such images online, you get a pass. But if you're white, you may have inadvertently perpetuated one of the most insidious forms of contemporary racism. You may be wearing digital blackface. (laughs) Digital blackface. What is digital blackface? He helpfully asked the question for us. What is digital blackface? Digital blackface is a practice where white people co-opt online expressions of black imagery, slang, catchphrases, or culture to convey comic relief or express emotions. These expressions, what one commentator called racialized reactions, are mainstays in Twitter feeds, TikTok videos, and Instagram reels, and are among the most popular internet memes. Digital blackface involves white people play-acting at being black, says Lauren Michelle Jackson. Girl! An author and cultural critic in an essay for Teen Vogue. Yes, the authoritative voice, Teen Vogue. Jackson says the internet thrives on white people laughing at exaggerated displays of blackness, reflecting a tendency among some people to see black people as walking hyperbole. (laughs) Oh my gosh. If you're still not sure how to define digital blackface, Jackson offers a guide. She says it includes displays of emotion stereotyped as excessive. So happy, so sassy, so ghetto, so loud. Our dial is on 10 all the time. Rarely are black characters afforded subtle traits or feelings. Holy Lord. These people are finding ways to be offended. Now, I I, I, I need you to, to... to just recognize the fact that CNN.com is running this. And this is a person who is on their payroll. He's a CNN Enterprise writer-producer. His name is John Blake, a native of Baltimore, Maryland. He writes about race, religion, politics, and other assorted topics. He's been honored by the Society of Professional Journalists, the Associated Press, the American Academy of Religion. He's the author of More Than I Imagined, What a Black Man Discovered About the White Mother He Never Knew. It sounds like he is obsessed with race in ways other people are not. 
and he wants you to know about this idea called digital blackface. Y'all, if we are worried about white people on the internet sharing gifts of black people on the internet, I assure you we have solved the problem of racism in modern America in most instances. It's not to say there's still not a problem in some aspects, but really, we're worried about white people sharing a RuPaul gif saying, girl, really? That's that's what we have to be outraged about? If that's what we have to be outraged about, um, that's, that's kind of not a big deal. The problem here is that there is real racism in the country still. There are bad people. I don't believe the country is systemically racist, but there are racist people. And there are problems in communities that involve race. And when you amplify something like digital blackface, by the way, from a network that is more outraged about white people sharing gifts of black people than about white men deciding they're women and competing against women in sports, you can see priorities are kind of screwed up in this. You can see that that uh, this is kind of a nonsensical thing to be outraged about. I mean, at CNN, by and large, they are not outraged about the idea of young men who are losers in men's sports deciding they're women so that they can become winners in women's sports. They're, they're not really outraged. In fact, they're pretty damn supportive of it. And so when a white man puts on real woman face, it gets a pass. But when you share a gif, you're somehow a racist. You're perpetual. You don't even know. They want to make you aware of it. You see, because you're systemically racist, you don't really have an idea that you're the bigot that you are. And they want to helpfully provide you information on your bigotry. And if you, a white person, use a black person's face, well, you're, you're a racist. And you need to know that you're a racist. This, this is the, the, the same bizarreness of uh, you, you, you got to have uh, only people of a, a community can play people of the community. You can't have a black person play a Hispanic person. You can't have a, um, you can't have an American play a German. Only Nazis can play Nazis these days. So you got to have a, a Southern Republican uh, available in Hollywood to play the Nazis because only Nazis can play Nazis apparently. It's this, this kind of silliness that is pervasive among a community of people who are finding things to be outraged about. You see, we've solved the big issues. We we recognize this as a society, racism is bad. We recognize Martin Luther King Jr. was right when he said we should uh, consider the character of someone, uh, the content of a person's character, not the color of their skin. And so now the left has come along and many of them would be unemployed if we actually did that. So now they say, no, no, we actually have to care about the color of someone's skin. We have to care about race. We have to, we can't have a colorblind society. We've decided there's no such thing. You must now care about it. And by the way, I, I saw an interesting comment earlier. It, it, it explains kind of the rise of transgenderism and like, when you enter into a society where you must care about these things and you are an upper middle class white person who wants to move beyond the intersectionality of your uh, cis heteronormative patriarchy, 
you convert to being a woman and suddenly you can become a minority and you can get out of all of the problems. You can get out of the, having the race card thrown at you. You can get out of being part of the patriarchy. You can get out of uh, being part of the heterosexual uh, normative patriarchy of Christofascism America by saying, whoa, 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 I'm trans. You can't throw this at me now. I'm now a woman. I'm now a discriminated minority, and suddenly in the intersectional woke DEI atmosphere and pantheon of good and bad, you're protected. One of the reasons there's this great rise, you'll notice there isn't this overwhelming urge in non-white wealthy communities to suddenly become transgenders. It becomes a phenomenon of the upper income white echelon where they're trying to escape the diversity intersectionalism complaints. And this just amplifies this fact that the fact that we have moved beyond real racism in America so a guy on CNN can be upset with you for sharing a gif of someone you like, sharing a, a Michael Jordan crying uh, meme, which is a kind of a famous meme, but apparently it's digital blackface. When these are the sorts of things that you and our society can be complaining about and be upset by means we've actually solved the big problem. Our society is not systemically racist when this is your complaint. Our society is not overridden with racists in charge when this is your sort of complaint. When you are complaining about a white person just embracing a funny meme because, you're, oh, it just means they believe that every black person dials it up to a 10 every day. That's not what it means. It's just an appropriate gift for an appropriate circumstance. But they don't see it that way because they want to be offended, and their career depends on perpetuating the outrage of racism. Their career depends on this. This man, John Blake, writes on race, religion, and politics in America. If we can acknowledge that we are not the racist society we once were, he's out of a job. And so he's got to find racism somewhere, and where he has found it is in white people sharing memes on social media that offend him and just not the rest of America. I have not only converted my entire family to Bull and Branch sheets, but a lot of my friends as well, because I actually believe in them. You can feel the craftsmanship, and the amazing thing is that these sheets get softer every time you wash them. Don't believe me? Give them a try. Right now, you can get early access to Bull and Branch's spring sale. You use code ERIC, that would be my name, E-R-I-C-K, and get 20% off today at BowlinBranch.com. That's BowlinBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code is ERIC. Exclusions apply. See the site for details. I got to tell you guys, these sheets are designed for incredible night sleeps. They're made without toxins. They're free from synthetic pesticides, formaldehydes, harsh chemicals. They fit really deep mattresses. And I've got a thick mattress, and they don't shrink up, which is great. Take care of the sheets. The sheets take care of you, and you get a 30-night risk-free guarantee with free shipping and returns on all U.S. orders. And right now, use code ERIC to take 20% off today at BolandBranch.com. That's B-O-L-L-A-N-D Branch.com, promo code ERIC. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you'd like to be on the program, always happy to have you here. When we come back at the bottom of the hour, there's a story about the Wall Street Journal, in the Wall Street Journal, about polling in America that I, I we need to discuss it. Right now, though, there's a bigger issue, and I actually think this is a very important issue. Editorially, when I shape the show every day, 
occasionally I run across a story that I think is the biggest story, but I know that none of you will agree with me. And I sometimes have to set it aside. Uh, There are times that I put it at the forefront, but uh, on a day like today where I've been on vacation for a week and I come back, I need to deal with what is perceived to be the biggest story of the day and, and not what I think actually is the biggest story of the day. And I want to spend just a moment on this um, headline. My buddy Joe sent this to me. Al-Qaeda closes in on a stalwart U.S. ally in Africa. In a city in Ghana, a fight between ethnic groups is the kind of bitter local dispute Islamist militants often exploit. Let me just read you part of this from Michael Phillips in the Wall Street Journal. The good news, according to Salafu Basru, an elder of the Mempruzi people, is that if al-Qaeda militants attack, they'll probably kill his rivals from the Kusasi community first. The bitter 65-year dispute between Mempruzi and Kusasi, over which ethnic group rules this small northern Ghanan city, has turned deadly in recent months with neighbors exchanging machine gun fire and each side vowing never to let the other get its way. So Mr. Salifu relishes the idea of al-Qaeda gunmen storming through Kusasi neighborhoods even more than he worries about the terror group invading Ghana in the first place. We wouldn't help the Kusasi at all, vowed the 60-year-old, seated in front of a mural listing Mempruzi, who has served as paramount chief of Balku since 1721. The clash between Balku's main ethnic groups is a hyper-local conflict with potentially global implications. Both Ghanan and U.S. officials fear that al-Qaeda militants, who have attacked villages in Burkina Faso, just a few miles away, could take advantage of the tensions to establish a beachhead, a beachhead in Ghana, a regional powerhouse and American ally. Over the past five years, militants from al-Qaeda and Islamic State have spread like an ink blot through the semi-arid Sahil Band of West Africa, killing thousands in Mali, Niger, and Burkina Faso. One of their favorite tactics is to inflame local conflicts and grievances to recruit young men. That strategy has helped turn Africa from Mali in the west to Somalia in the east to Mozambique in the south into the main battlefield in the decades-long contest pitting Islamic extremists against the west and its local allies. I can stop reading there and just tell you we've got to keep an eye on this. Remember, Barack Obama told us al-Qaeda was dead or dying. And Joe Biden has assured us that ISIS was no more. And in fact, they just went into the shadows, moved into Africa, and are coming after American allies trying to destabilize that region. We should not treat Africa as a homogenous nation. It's not. It's a continent larger than North America. It has a lot of people. Many of them are poor, many of them starving, and they make good converts to something like al-Qaeda and ISIS. This is going to come back to get us if we don't solve this problem, and the Biden administration doesn't seem to be able to figure out how to do that. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. I Let me me give us all a laugh for the day. This this (laughs) Sometimes the stories you read, this is out of the um, London Metro paper. Five hitmen have been jailed for attempted murder after each one avoided carrying out the contract themselves so they could make a profit. (laughs) Chinese businessman Tan Yui was looking for a hitman to take out a competitor, Wei Mao. 
and was willing to pay two million uh, one, which is two hundred sixty-seven thousand dollars. He's willing to pay two hundred sixty-seven thousand dollars to get the job done. The hitman that Mister Yui hired decided to offer the job to another hitman for half the original price. The second hitman then subcontracted to another hitman, who then subcontracted to a fourth hitman, who gave the job to a fifth hitman. However. Hitman number five was so incensed at how much the value of the contract had fallen, he told the target to fake his own death, which led to the police finding out about the plot. The businessman and the hapless assassins were all convicted of attempted murder following a trial that lasted three years. The original dispute occurred in 2013 when we decided to sue real estate developer Yuhi. Worried he would lose the lengthy court battle, Tan hired a hitman named Zi Guanggang to hire to kill Mr. Wee. He then hired it. I'm not going to go through all the names and mispronounce them all, but basically the fifth hitman was incensed, told the dude to fake his death, and then told the police what was going on. So the businessman who hired the original hitman was sentenced to five years. The original hitman was sentenced to three years, six months. Hitman number two, Three and number four were sentenced to three years and three months. Uh, And then uh, the next guy was sentenced to two years and seven months. (laughs) You know, too many middlemen. Clearly, clearly there's a there's a business issue here. Uh, It's also a cautionary tale in in subcontracting. (laughs) Wow. Goodness gracious. Okay. Um, I got a I got a talk about a Wall Street Journal poll. And everyone is making a, I'm seeing tons of chatter about this poll from the Wall Street Journal. The polling shows Americans are kind of pulling back from American values. According to the Wall Street Journal and a poll they conducted Uh, A lot of Americans uh, have kind of walked away from religion and patriotism, uh, selflessness and values. There's been a a striking decline over time, a very rapid time period on the values Americans hold dear. And it's a situation that is raising all sorts of bipartisan alarm bells as well because it's not a... Republican problem. It's not a Democrat problem. It's a bipartisan problem on the structure of our society as a whole. And the data, it kind of goes across the board. The data applies to Republicans and Democrats alike, and it presents a kind of damning indictment on where we as a nation seem to be. So for example, The number of Americans who believe patriotism is a core value of the country has gone from 70% in 1998 to 38% today. Religion has gone from 62% to 39%. Having children has gone from 59% support to 30% support. Community involvement has gone from 47% support to 27% support. But making money has gone from 31% to 43%. More Americans see making money as a value as important than community involvement, having children, religion, or patriotism. 
One of the things that's getting missed in the commentary about this, however, is the very last paragraph. And this is gets into what I've been talking about with polling. Let me read you the last paragraph of the story here. The journal NORC survey polled 1,019 people from March 1st to 13th, mostly online. Differences in how the new poll and prior surveys were conducted might account for a small portion of the reported decline in importance of the American values tested. Prior surveys use live interviewers to reach people by phone. I actually suspect that it has impacted way more than what the Wall Street Journal wants to claim. At the same time, I also think that it is reflective in our national discourse that the trend is accurate. Maybe not the degree to the fall off, but the trend is accurate. More and more Americans tend to value making money of some kind. Look at the the social media influencers who don't want to give up TikTok. Even though it's a communist surveillance app from China, they don't want to give it up because they're making big coin on it. Their idea of making money is more important to them than uh, the integrity of the country, than the patriotism towards the country. You see that. So the polling trends are probably right, even if the amount of support in these various issues is overwrought or overdone. But what's also very interesting is what else the polling finds. 63% of the people surveyed say companies should not take public stands on social and political issues. Only 36% say companies should take such stands. In other words, most people do not like companies getting preachy in politics and social issues. They want them to shut up. Just make your product or provide your service without getting preachy about your values. Half of the people in the survey said they didn't like the practice of being asked to use gender-neutral pronouns when addressing another person. I think this kind of holds up as well. I I continue to believe that there is a a number of people who in this country are quietly rebelling against wokeism. I've I've mentioned before, I I have a progressive correspondent. I wouldn't call him a friend, definitely an acquaintance. And he tells me all the time, as much as he disagrees with me politically, we got to win the transgender fight because he finds it absurd, the idea that uh, his kid could have to comp- compete against a kid of a different sex in sports, that it's it's nonsensical. It makes no sense. So I think there actually are a number, and this guy is, I wouldn't call him a liberal. I'd call him a progressive, atheist progressive. And yet even he sees how absurd it is. And he's talked about to me how in, in his circle of friends and business acquaintances, he can't be vocal in that because it, it's the shiny object of the day, the current thing. I mentioned online this morning that I fired an employee who put pronouns in the signature line of his email. I'm not going to have an employee who puts he, him in the signature line of his email. Now, I went on to say that actually I did not do this because none of my employees are dumb enough to do this, but I wouldn't hire someone who put their pronouns in their signature line. And I stand by that. You're not a serious person if you use your pronouns in your signature line. Why do I believe this? Because the use of gender-neutral pronouns and whatnot is the shiny object of the day. It means you follow the trends of liberal society. You're not actually a leader. You're a follower of a lot of dumb things. I have no use for people, particularly in social media. Never take seriously the people who put pronouns in their signature lines or their Twitter bios. 
Most Americans agree with that position. The loudest voices in the room do not, and that's the big distinguishing mark here. The loudest voices in the room don't agree, but the majority of people do agree. That's the issue here. 63% of people say companies should not take public stands on social issues and political issues. 80% of Republicans say this. 56% of Democrats actually favor companies taking political stands. Of course they do. Again, I find probably the underlying data, the underlying numbers are flawed here. But the underlying data, the trend lines sound legitimate. But this has larger implications for our society that I don't think people are talking about. When you, when people no longer value having kids, more than 50% used to in 1998, now about 30% do. Let me give you the actual number so I have this right. Uh, where'd it go? I had it and then I lost it. That's okay. Slightly more than a quarter of Americans now say having kids is a good thing for our society. Used to be about 70% of people did. We are increasingly a childless society of single people. When the childless single people become the majority, what you're going to find is the priorities of our country completely realign. Right now, a lot of people want to value public education for kids. What happens when most Americans don't have kids? They're not going to want most of their taxpayer dollars going to public education. They're going to want most of their money going to retirement centers for themselves or ways to entertain themselves. When you have a bunch of people who have no kids to take care of them, you necessarily have to have the social safety net grow. When you don't have a lot of people who find a lot of value in patriotism, what you find is is a lot of people no longer care about the country. And I suspect when you look at two of these data points, people no longer care about patriotism and people care greatly about making money these days. That explains the TikTok phenomenon. Again, we can say that the individual numbers are wrong, but the trend lines have to bear out. Look at all of the people who are so invested in making money off TikTok, they can't fathom the government banning the program even though we know that the the uh, TikTok as an app is part of the Chinese communist surveillance state. This is beyond dispute. We see these things coming, a profound realignment in the values of America. But here's something else far more troubling. When Americans no longer value patriotism or civic engagement or civic responsibility or anything of that nature, or perpetuating the species even, you don't really have a society to hold on to. When nothing within our society compels us to stay connected together other than making money, you don't really have a society that's going to stay together. It kind of becomes a fulfilling prophecy in the collapse of our society to do that. It's not a good thing. It's not a stable thing for our society. And yet here we are, with a lot of Americans viewing patriotism and civic-mindedness and connectedness and community participation as things they don't really care about, overrun by their desire to make money. That's not a recipe for a healthy, stable society. And that's not a Democrat thing, and that's not a Republican thing. That's a damning indictment on the state of this country overall, partisans on all sides. Just keep that in mind, folks. 
Now, I got to tell you about the Eden Pure Thunderstorm, the air purifier. Maybe we need to run this nationally and just uh, deodorize the country and all the noxious fumes right now. You can get three of them at Eden Pure by going to EdenPureDeals.com. EdenPureDeals.com. On the front page of the website, you'll see a discount code box and you put in ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, and you get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms for less than $200. You're saving $200. And you get free shipping. An incredible deal. What are they? They're odor eliminators. They eliminate noxious smells. They eliminate litter box odors, pet odors, cigar odors, uh, smoke odors, cooking odors, you name it. They wipe out those odors. They do it great. I travel with mine. Didn't have to use it in Hilton Head. The rental house was great. But I travel with it because I've had rental cars where people have been smoking. God knows what in them. I've had uh, hotel rooms that have stunk. You fire up the Eden Pure Thunderstorm, it's slightly bigger than your hand. You can plug it into the wall or you can use a USB cable. And you just let it run and it wipes out those odors and it works great. You can get three of them for less than $200 by going to EdenPureDeals.com. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is just ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. That's it. You'll get three of them for less than $200, save $200, get free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com. Discount code E-R-I-C-K. Yes, please do that. If you are in Atlanta, Georgia, listening to WSB Radio, I am get to step out for the next hour and then at 4 p.m. Uh, join you again. Governor Brian Kemp will be with me around 5.30. I'm going to push him on school choice. We'll see what he says. Um, that's pending before the state house. Right now, to give you an update, uh, the Covenant School shooting at Covenant Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, Uh, They're now identifying the shooter as a 28-year-old Nashville woman. They originally said it was a teen woman. Uh, None of this makes sense, frankly. Uh, When you you pull back mass shootings in America, uh, particularly school shootings, when you delete the gang activity, uh, tend to be young white men. A 28-year-old female shooter is completely anomalous which raises all sorts of questions as to motivation. Uh, three adults and three students at the school. Uh, the school is pre-K to sixth grade. Three adult staff members and three students have been killed, uh, and the shooter as well, so seven total. Just an absolute, absolute tragedy. Um, I hate these stories, and I hate that these things happen. The White House, you should know, rushed out to politicize this in ways I continue to believe is inappropriate. Um, The White House press secretary calling for an assault weapons ban, you should keep it, and blaming the Republicans. You should keep in mind the Democrats controlled everything for the last several years. And they did not, they did not, um, they, they did not advance uh, an assault weapons ban. They could have, and they chose not to. The president, bizarrely enough, started out talking about the Nashville shooting today this way. My name is Joe Biden. I'm Dr. Joe Biden's husband. And I ate Jenny's ice cream, chocolate chip. I came down because I heard there was chocolate chip ice cream. By the way, I have a whole refrigerator full upstairs. You think I'm kidding? I'm not. God. Ben, how are you, pal? One of the best guys in the United States Congress, Ben Cardin. <laughs> Folks, uh, welcome to the White House. Thank you. Thank you. It's a delight to have you all here. And who are those good-looking kids back there? 
<laughs> Do your kids, all four of them? Yes. Well, stand up, guys. <laughs> well, I want you to know, like you, I had two brothers, three of my name. That that was how we know this was a, a business summit, a women's business summit. But the White House said he would start by talking about the school shooting. And that's how he began the conversation. And Green Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, began her press conference today calling for the Republicans to pass an assault weapons ban which would not, based on what we know, that the woman had two rifles and a handgun, and so an assault weapons man would not have stopped the shooting. Whether it would have stopped the rifles from being present, it would not have stopped the handgun from being present. It's just the, the rush for government to do something to keep us safe. Government is not going to be able to keep you safe. Government cannot always keep you safe. And we have over time decided that if we just push for the government to keep us safe, we can abdicate our own responsibility to keep us safe. And that's not going to be the case. The people of Nashville, the people of the school, they need a lot of prayer. But when people rush to politicize an absolute tragedy today, can we at least ask, will what they propose, would it, would what they propose save anything, benefit anybody? And in this case, we already know from what the police have said, based on how this woman was armed, that an assault weapons ban would not have saved the day. And we should stop trying to politicize tragedy and find political solutions for spiritual problems. You're not going to find a political solution for a spiritual problem. That's exactly what we're dealing with in this country today. We got all sorts of deep problems no one wants to talk about.